today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 9 and 18 to 23. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Then he has no root in in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. You may be seated. Well, friends, um, it's New Year's resolution time. Um, Who's starting their Bible reading plan tomorrow? Um, It is is not a message about Bible reading plans, but I think this text that we just had read is the key to understanding whether or not all that Bible reading you plan on doing in 2024 will bear any fruit. See, the Bible says that you can have eyes but not be able to see. Uh, You can have ears but not really be able to hear. Uh, It would be possible then for you to complete an entire year Bible reading plan and for you to not really hear the Word of God. It would be possible that it could bear absolutely zero fruit, and that's even if you do the chronological plan, right? Um, So what are we then to do? Uh, Take care how you hear. Um, You may have noticed that as Jesus describes the different soils, he describes them as all the different ways people hear the Word of God, which is the seed. Uh, But proper hearing, Jesus tells us, is not something primarily done with the ears. We're told it's done with the heart. It's the heart that determines whether there will be any true understanding. Your heart is the most foundational part of who you are. Scripture tells us it's the command center. uh, But even more than that, it dictates what we desire most, what we love most. And the condition of the heart, that determines whether you'll be able to understand the word Our passage also tells us that true understanding will always prove itself in fruit-bearing, sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. Uh, Now, if you're anything like me, you you hear a parable like this, uh, you you might instantly be trying to put these different soils in different buckets so you can understand what's for me and what's for somebody else, right? 
But our Lord uses parables for many reasons, and one of them is that they cut in multiple directions. See, from the time of the early church to now, commentators agree that these soils don't fit cleanly into buckets. Rather, they sample the broad strokes of how the heart hears and responds to the word, with three examples of wrong hearing and one correct. So while the first three types of soil would certainly describe hearts of those who have not experienced the new birth or the false convert, the tear, it would be wrong to believe or for the believer to conclude that there are no similar patterns in the way his heart and the heart of the unbeliever operates. Instead, we should be asking ourselves, how is my heart like that? We'll use our time this morning to simply walk through the four types of soils. A hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, and the good soil. First, the hard soil. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. See, the first soil is the path, which would have gradually been hardened as the farmer tills, sows, weeds, and harvests his crops. We're told that this soil is so hard that the seed is not actually able to penetrate it, but instead the seed sits on top of the soil and quickly is eaten by the birds who come, which we're told are the devil. Now this describes the hard-hearted hearer. Uh, but instead of the farmer's footsteps, it is actually sin that hardens our hearts. See, living in sin or rebellion towards God causes our hearts to progressively become hardened toward the Word of God until ultimately it becomes foolishness. It can't penetrate. There's absolutely no understanding. We're told in, in Romans, um, the unbeliever, so in love with the things of the world and their sin, they knew God existed but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened making them unable to hear or understand the Word of God. Uh, you think of a kid who grew up in a Christian home, and he goes off to college, and he notices all, all his friends are starting to become sexually active, and he says, I I'd like to get on, on that, but, but there's a problem, right? He believes in God, and God says, you know, sex is only for marriage, and so what, what's he to do? Well, conveniently, he starts having some doubts, right? He says, well, how can we really be sure that God exists anyway, right? Uh, and God slowly becomes more and more unreal. Um, ha has a new argument, disproving the existence of God, changed this man's ability to believe God and his word? Absolutely not. It's the deceitfulness of sin progressively blinding us to what Romans says is absolutely clear in creation. There is a God. See, sin has the power to deceive us and harden ourselves to the reality of God. Uh, but does this just affect um, non-believers? Uh, well, look at what the writer of Hebrews says to the church. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But ex exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, has, has the Word of God ever convicted you that maybe some sort of media you're consuming is not honoring to God? And then you found yourself on the defensive, 
Because you don't want something you love to be taken away from you. And then perhaps you've gone through a process of rationalization, right? Surely it's not that bad. I, I know some other Christians, you know, they, they watch some pretty bad stuff. So there are the warning signs. Defensiveness and rationalization. So when you hear, uh, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Instead of having a soft heart that welcomes the Word of God to search your life for any way that it might not be living in line with this, you, you ignore it, quite frankly, you might be a little ticked off that it got brought up, right? Man, preacher's talking about money again. That's inconvenient. But you leave it knowing that soon enough the birds will come and the conviction will be gone and you can go back to doing what you love. Or maybe even the defenses have hardened you enough that it doesn't even get you riled up at all. You just, no, I got a defense mechanism for that. I don't. This is how I interpret that, so I don't, have to, I don't have to think about that. See, Christians have little pet areas of hardening. Don't touch that. It's my little pet sin. But friends, those pets grow up. Um, if you see the symptoms of hardening in your life, um, you see those early warning signs. Uh, hear the pleading of Hebrews. The fully formed version of that defensiveness and rationalization is a hardened heart that can cause one to fall away from the living God. Next, the rocky soil. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. For what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while and when tribulations or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. We're told that this time the seed is actually able to penetrate the soil that is covering the rocks. Um, and because this soil is shallow, it warms up quickly in the heat of the sun, and this um, seed then sprouts quickly. We're told that this here uh, receives the word with joy, right? They're happy. They're eager. Uh, but then difficulties come, the scorching heat of life comes, and the plant withers. Um, notice that the scripture says he receives it with joy. He doesn't understand it with joy. It's implying there's a deficiency in terms of understanding. Um, only of the good soil does it say that there is true understanding. But, but there is some comprehension, right? Um, you could say that there is an understanding of some of the benefits of Christianity, which is where the joy comes from. But the superficiality of the response comes from an inadequate and imbalanced view of what it means to follow Jesus. See, this here was excited because he thought he had enlisted Jesus to come help him build his kingdom, right? This here had some goals of his own. And he thought Jesus might just come help him. Um, I've spoken to a number of people over the years who have told me, man, I accepted Jesus into my life um, and then nothing really changed, and so I moved on. And I might ask them, well, did you make Jesus Lord of your life? And they say, well, yeah, yeah, but, but he wasn't really working for me, and so I moved on. But listen, th that person has not made Jesus Lord of their life. What they've done at best 
is temporarily hire Jesus as a manager of their life. Only decide that later on, Jesus was not doing a really good job of running their life. Right? He's not helping me reach my goals. But see, you've never stopped being Lord of your own life. You haven't understood that to make Jesus Lord of your life is like instating him as CEO, signing the shares of the business of your life over to him. No takesy-backsies, and, and, and he's the boss. And, and then you go to serve him. Uh, see, if you've truly made him Lord of your life, um, you've lost your ability to dethrone him. You've taken away your conditions. See, when persecution or difficulties come, the heat of life, when you don't get what you were hoping for, what you were hoping God would give you, it, it reveals whether we signed up for God to be our servant or whether we signed up to be God's servant. So for you to put root down is for you to let the claims of Christ settle all the way down to the bottom of your heart and life. The word comes in and says, I made you, therefore you belong to me. And not only that, I bought you back, I redeemed you by pure grace, and there now, therefore, is absolutely nothing that is off limits for me in your life. I'm Lord over everything. But not, but not only that, friends, it's, I am your portion now and forever. I am your great reward. All the other things don't matter compared to me. That's the only way you're going to handle the scorching heat of life in a good way. See, Jesus is either your manager because he's useful to you, or he is Lord because he's a holy God who deserves to be Lord, no matter how it serves us at any given moment. Now, with, with this soil, it's a little bit easier to tell like, who the convert, false converts are, right? They, they walk away. Uh, but there may be certain goals or desires in which the believer, with joy, has hoped God would give them in return for their service. And when he does not give us those things, we don't just feel sad, we don't just feel appropriate grief, but if we're willing to be honest, we actually feel betrayed. Maybe you feel as though God owes you your dream job, a spouse, a child, a happy home life, a stable income, and if you don't get it, if you're, if you're really willing to be honest, you're feeling betrayed. Watch out. That is a superficial and conditional heart. That's a superficial understanding. Has he promised you any of those things? He's not. But he has promised you that he will work all things for good in, in the life of those who love him. And, and in this life, primarily, he, he's promised to do that through our being conformed to Jesus. That's the big prize now. And, and in the resurrection... The, our glorification and eternal reigning with Christ. Friends, he has promised us the better thing. Oh, that we would have hearts that would be fixed on what is certain to us in Christ. Those would be happy hearts, content hearts, and they would bear much fruit. Um, next, the thorny ground. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
The, the thorny ground is then the heart where the word sprouts up, but in the shadow of the overpowering weeds. And it's ultimately choked out by those weeds, the competing interests of the heart, which are described here as the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. So what is Jesus getting at when he says the cares of the world? I think it's helpful to think about this in at least uh, two ways. Notice the word is sown among thorns. Um, There's a sense in which these cares of life, they're crowding out the word. There is a busyness with many other things that keeps the word from bearing fruit. Maybe you heard the word on a Sunday, uh, but then you were swept up with all the other things you had going on in your life, and the word never bore any fruit. All the more important and pressing things kept it from receiving the nutrients, the time and energy it needed to bear fruit. Friends, is, is the word being crowded out by your preoccupation with the cares of life? But the word being sown among thorns also gives us the picture of a heart in which the roots of the weeds already establish when the word comes along. They run deeper than the word. They are what the heart is most attached to, what it most loves. The word ultimately can't break through and overpower the weeds because it doesn't hold the same grip on the heart. It turns out the busyness was actually more than just an excuse. It actually reveals a heart priority for things other than the Word of God. Now, you might very fairly be asking, uh, what are the cares of the world, Josh? Well, there's an intentional vagueness here. I don't know if you felt that when we were reading it. So much so that when telling this parable, Luke even adds the pleasures of life to the list, right? And he does this not to clarify, but to double down on the vagueness. Uh, and what's the point? Well, this can be anything. You can let anything take the top spot in your heart. Well, we do have two pointers, though. Uh, it, it says cares, the cares specifically of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Um, so we have to ask ourselves, what does the world care about? Uh, certainly success in your respective spheres. Um, the world really cares about home ownership. You notice that? Comfort, having kids that are successful in everything they do, rewarding recreation and hobbies, good food and drink, sexual fulfillment, financial security, being entertained. And of course, none of these things I just listed are bad things but they all have the potential to become weeds in your heart that choke out the Word of God in your life. Man, it, it's, it's good that you want to help your kids succeed, right? That's good. But when the calendar is completely dominated with activity on activity that will help the kid ha- have every possible opportunity to, su- to succeed, we have to ask ourselves, has this become a weed that is crowding and choking out the Word? Can we honestly say that our lives look markedly different from our friends who don't know Christ in pursuit of these good things? He goes on and says the deceitfulness of riches. What's he talking about there? Now, we know that riches aren't bad in and of themselves, but they can deceive. How do they do that? 
Well, it's all in me if I just had that. If I just owned my own place. If I, if I just paid off the mortgage. If I, I got that raise. If we could just do a little bit more travel. If I could get the passive income to a certain level, then I'd be in a good spot, right? Then I'd be able to breathe a little bit. See, it, it's possible that some of us might have just gone through the Advent season, right? Hearing about the miraculous truth of the Incarnation. We, we've heard about the extravagant love of the Father, sending His one and only Son. But the rays of God's love aren't able to reach your heart. It just didn't move you. And it's possible it's because there's a big stinking weed blocking you from feeling that love. You're thinking about money. You're thinking about anything else. You're caught up on a weed. It's blocking the, the word from being nourished. Now you might ask, well, you, you just told me um, busyness is part of the problem. Now it says, it seems like you're saying, well, you just need to spend more time with the word. And that's just going to make me busier. But listen, uh, the, the Lord knows, he knows all the things you need to do. He knows many of you are very busy and take care of many things. And what does he say to you? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And he says this because he cares. Uh, not so he can trick you into making you busier and adding burdens on you. See, there is a way of approaching the many cares of life in which the cares are our top dog. They're top priority, right? But then here's the, here's the problem. The the cares then are primarily responsible for feeding and nourishing you. But on their own, they're only broken cisterns. They can't bring life in and of themselves. On their own, they're only weeds. Or you can seek first the kingdom. Let the word rule in your life. Abide in Christ and then move out into all the things that you need to do bearing fruit as you care for your family, as you work, as you recreate, pursue friendships, do ministry, and so on. Trusting all the while that God will care for all the things that he deems essential in your life. Finally, we come to the good soil. Um, still, other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Uh, notice, finally, this is one who understands, right? And then, with true understanding, its inevitable conclusion is fruit-bearing. Uh, the good soil received the word, receives the word, lets it sink down deep, and then it makes the word its top priority. It gives space and energy needed to bear fruit. Uh, but we have to ask the question, and I have to thank a pastor named um, Brian Borgman for this. Um, why is this heart good? Is Jesus telling us that some hearts are just good? Um, th that their sin isn't quite as bad? It doesn't harden in the same way? They don't try to use God for their own gain? Is that what it is? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying this heart is good first because it is receptive to the word. It's the prepared heart that is the good heart. 
Uh, Listen to Spurgeon speak about his conversion. He says this, My heart was fallow and covered with weeds, but on a certain day the great husbandman came and began to plow my soul. Ten black horses were his team, and there was a tough plowshare he used, and the plows made deep furrows. The Ten Commandments were those ten black horses, and the justice of God, like a plowshare, tore my spirit. I was condemned, undone, destroyed, lost, helpless, hopeless. I thought hell was before me. See, when Spurgeon saw the law, he realized that his heart was anything but good. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us the true interpretation of of the Ten Commandments, where anger is counted as murder, right? And lust is is, is adultery. Spurgeon saw then that he was an idolatrous, thieving, murdering, covetous adulterer. He knew he was condemned, undone, destroyed. His heart was made ready for the word. Friend, uh, do you see yourself, apart from Christ, as condemned, as utterly hopeless? Can you admit that your heart may still have stubborn hard patches, rocks and weeds? Has your heart learned to despair of itself apart from Christ? Now, you might ask, man, that's what the good heart is? Doesn't sound great. Does God just always want us being miserable? It's a fair question. Um, But look at what he's doing it for. That you might be made good soil and bear much fruit. That you might be abundantly blessed. Listen to what Dane Ortland says. He says, It's because of God's very desire that we be joyously happy, filled to overflowing with the uproarious cheer of heaven itself, that he reveals these things. For he is sending us down into the honesty and sanity. He wants us to see our sickness so that we can run to the doctor. He wants us to get healed. See, the good soil is the heart the Lord sends down to the pit of honesty and self-despair so that there they might see the goodness of the gospel and they may receive the word. The self-despair leads to repentance and fellowship with Christ. The word takes root and bears fruit in keeping with repentance. See, if sin hardens the heart, a broken and contrite heart softens the heart. And makes us ready to receive the word. To repent quickly when we are in the wrong and bear fruit. If a shallow heart looks at God and says, what can you do for me? A good and honest heart looks at him suffering the terrors of hell to ransom me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of everlasting joy and says, that's someone I can trust. I can trust you wholeheartedly. There's nothing in my life you can't touch. I serve you with no conditions. If a a thorny heart is divided and prefers the things of the world over Christ, the good heart knows that only God can satisfy and therefore makes space to commune and rest decisively in Jesus. Now at the beginning, I, I said that each of the three troubled soils can refer to either the false convert or the struggling Christian. They certainly speak to both. The first two are soils. Uh, it's easier to tell which is which, right? Uh, the first soil, the word never even gets a response. And, and the second one, he just walks away. Uh, but what about the thorny soil? 
how do you know if you're the false convert who seems to have accepted Christianity, right? It's perfectly okay being a, a nice addition to their lives. They said the prayers, invited Jesus into their lives, but the weeds are choking the word and it never bears any fruit. It's a tear. It's, it's a false convert. How do you know whether you're that or you're the good soil, the true believer who, who admittedly is dealing with a weed problem? Uh, make no mistake, we all deal with weeds, don't we? Calvin says the, idol, or the heart is an idol factory. There are constantly things competing for our highest loyalties and affections. But, but how do we know the difference? Have you made peace with the weeds in your heart? See, there is something about that prepared heart, that good heart. The Lord comes and he permanently defangs the weeds in the soil of your heart so that even when weeds do crumb, they crop up, they won't sit right with you. The heart will be in anguish over them. Maybe not at all times, but, but you can't escape the anguish. It always comes back. Uh, does it grieve you that you've let weeds fester in your heart and in doing so, grieve the one who has given you absolutely everything in Christ? Friends, uh, if you've made peace with the weeds, hear the warning of this text. You may not know Christ at all. But if these things bring you holy grief, it is a sign that the good gardener has prepared and transformed your heart, though he still has much weeding yet to do. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Uh, friends, why, why do some hearts bear 30, 60, and another 100-fold? Um, some of you right now are absolutely crushing it, right? You're bearing a hundredfold. And, and God bless you. Keep running. Uh, but, but can I just encourage um, those of us who might be struggling right now? Uh, if you're anything like me, you know what it's like to struggle with weeds. Okay? And, and though it might grieve you, you've known seasons, or maybe you're in one right now, where you're not bearing nearly as much fruit as you wish you were. You're not growing nearly as fast as you wish you would be. You can't believe you're still struggling with that sin. Your affections aren't keeping up with your mind. You have doubts at times. You're in a season of wrestling. But friends, this is what's such good news. You are saved not because of the quantity of fruit that you bear. You are saved because of the all-sufficient power in the seed and the sower. When you trusted in the gospel, you trusted in the seed and the sower, not your ability to be a hundredfold here. And in trusting the word, you became a recipient of this promise. I will put a new, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And now it's your new heart that is grieving you that you aren't bearing more fruit. It's the heart that, though at times divided, longs to walk in the statutes of God. Um, finally, uh, 
Listen to the way that Jesus says he, he comes to you. He says it's like a seed. Like a tiny seed. Um, have you ever sat down and watched a seed grow? Slowly but surely it's growing. But, but if you watch it, it, it's infuriatingly slow. Yet when you speed it up, those time lapses, it's, it's marvelous to watch, right? Um, but slowly but surely, Christian, he's reorienting your heart to trust and love him completely. Uh, don't, don't look at this past month. Look at two years ago. Look, look at ten years ago. Are you growing in repentance and fruit-bearing? It might be like watching a seed grow. It might be slow. But slowly and surely, he's working to finish the good work he started in you. Uh, I've got to close, but, but really practically, how do we take all of this and be better hearers of the word? Um, number one, remember your need. Listen, I, I could very easily start this list by telling you, you, you really need to give the word time. Really sit with it. And that would be good advice, right? Um, but why don't we give the word more time? We've forgotten our need. We've been duped into thinking we have greater needs. We've forgotten that we are hopeless without the word. If we really grasp our need, we would arrange our lives so that we had quality time to spend in the word. We, we would find ourselves meditating on it, drawing strength from it throughout the day. Uh, we would pray over it as we washed dishes and drove. Uh, we would allow the word to search us, right? We, like the psalmist, we would pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, second, we would, we would go to war with anything that prevents the word from bearing fruit in us our lives. Uh, we'd be here, beware the hard, rocky, and thorny heart. Um, friends, repent, obey without conditions, and, and don't give power to the competing idols of the heart. Uh, third, and, and this is final and, and most important, uh, as we hear the word, trust in the power of the sower and of the seed. Uh, listen, th this parable is about it's about God, the good sower, who came to bring life and an abundant harvest into the lifeless gardens of hearts like yours and mine. And he came with a seed that to secure cost him his one and only son. So put your confidence in the sower and in the seed, the gospel, and let that transform you as you hear the word. Let it organically grow up inside of you. See, uh, don't trust mechanical goals like I read X amount of verses a day and then I'm going to get X amount of growth. Uh, that's like the word coming like a boulder. That's not like a seed. It's the power of the seed and the sower. Um, let the gospel transform you. Um, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, for the gift that is your word. We ask that you would give us eyes uh, to see and ears to hear. Uh, remind us of our need, Father.
And let the good news of your gospel lift us from the pit of despair into repentance and glorious communion with you, that we might bear much fruit and we might do it for your glory. Amen.